Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at, at Psalm 28. And, and if you have the Bible with you, please do turn to Psalm 28. Um, Psalm 28, and this is God's word. We're reading the, the whole of the psalm this morning. Um, reading from verse 1, this is God's word. Of David, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me. I become like those who go down to the pits. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Amen. And please, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn to Psalm 28 as we look at these verses together this morning. Let me pray for us as we come to think about God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is perfect, it is trustworthy, and we pray that as we turn to your word, that you would be our teacher, that by your spirit, that you would grant us understanding, and that ultimately, as we leave here, having been confronted with your words, that each of us would leave here leaning that bit more on Jesus Christ, trusting in him that our hearts would be encouraged by what he has done for us and is continuing to do. Lord, that you would encourage us and make us more like Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And back in July, August time in, in the Open Doors magazine, the July and August edition, uh, there was a story of a, uh, an Indian Christian girl in her, in her 20s And she grew up as a Hindu, but eventually somebody had told her about Jesus, and and eventually she came to faith in in Jesus Christ. And her and her mom and and, and her sister, they all became Christians. But life hasn't been easy for them. And when they first became Christians, people in their their community falsely accused them of of taking money to become a, a Christian. The villagers were often abusive towards them. They Uh, used abusive language, they mocked them, they shunned them and shamed them for being involved in in illegal activities. And one day when this lady's mum and sister were on their way home from a prayer meeting, uh, they were beat up by an angry group of of neighbours. And this girl, she she ran to rescue them, ran to rescue her mum and sister, but the crowd attacked her too. 
And later in hospital, she suffered from great anxiety and fear. She was afraid that her attackers would come for her. And then in hospital, she even received threats. And then she was denied medical treatment. Uh, Those that had attacked them were influential in their community and, uh, and they bribed the medical staff and they were denied medical treatment. It's not really a great way to start this morning, is it? But when you hear stories like this, it doesn't all make you want to stop and, and despair. When we hear things like this happening across the world, it's true all over the, the world Christians suffer and people hate God and, and his people and, and maybe we wonder to ourselves, will they get away with it or, or is there such a thing as justice? More personally, we're, we're not surrounded by people that want to kill us, but, but it's increasingly hard to be a Christian and, and we're surrounded by a society that would rather the church would just move aside. Uh, people shun us and shame us and accuse us and, and perhaps sometimes we despair a little. Well, in Psalm 28, David despairs and he's concerned about injustice And he desperately wants the Lord to respond justly. But while Psalm 28 is this passionate prayer for justice, uh, David is facing great affliction. While it begins with this passionate prayer, it eventually moves to praise. Verse 2, David says, hear my cry for mercy. But then verse 6, praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. So we meet David in despair and then full of praise. Because David remembers the Lord is just and able to save and hears our cry for mercy. But before we move too quickly to consider David's passionate praise, what is the first thing this psalm teaches us? Firstly, we're to pray to the Lord. And and really, as we think about this psalm this morning, today we can be despairing at the madness of our world or the hate directed towards the church But this psalm shows us that we can passionately pray to the Lord. That's our first point, pray to the Lord. Isn't that what David does? He's desperate and he prays to the Lord. Verse 1, to you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I shall be like those who have gone down to the pit. So David says, hear me. Have you ever felt like God hasn't heard your prayer? You've poured out your heart to him and but this desperation grips your heart because you're not sure if God is listening and yet God hears every whisper and he knows our words before they're on our lips so when David says hear me and when we're not sure if God is listening we're, we're not talking about literal deafness no we're worried about whether God will give us the cold shoulder have you ever, have you ever had that experience where you're walking down the street and and you see someone you know and, and uh, on the street and, and they blank you. They give you the cold shoulder and it tells you something about your relationship with that person. And it can make your heart sink. And here David's concerned that the Lord will give him the cold shoulder. And the thought of that makes his heart and our heart sink. If the Lord doesn't answer his prayer or our prayer, we'll be like those who have gone down to the pit. As good as dead. So David says, hear me. And then he says, help me. Look at verse two. 
Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. As David cries out in distress, he prays that the all-merciful Lord will come to his help. He can't deliver himself, but he trusts that the Lord will extend mercy to him. That's why he says, I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. He's coming empty-handed and utterly dependent on the Lord. And he says, hear me and help me. And yet I wonder where do we turn to in times of crisis? Psalms like this permit us to be honest about life before God. They show us where to bring our anxious thoughts and our Uh, they show us that we don't have to to sugarcoat things. Often we try to deal with things on our own. We maybe look inwardly for some sort of help, some sort of answer, or we look horizontally to those around us, but we're slow to lift up our empty hands and say, hear me and help me. And yet look at David, he's desperate and, and we don't know all the details of his circumstances. But we do know that he prays to the Lord. And, and was that because he was a special sort of person? Or does he pray because he's exhausted all, all our avenues and, and this is just the last resort? No, he prays to the Lord because he knows who the Lord is. Do you notice that? That's our motivation to pray as well. Look at verse 1. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. This is why he, he calls to the Lord. This is his motivation because he knows who he's praying to. He cries to the God who is the Lord, the one he's in an unbreakable covenant relationship with. He cries to the Lord, my rock, the one who is solid, dependable, strong, and unchanging, protective. And to be clear, David's not saying, Lord, I'm, you may or may not hear me. But he's praying, knowing who the Lord is, Asking the Lord to act in accordance with who he knows him to be. So his desire is for the Lord to be who he knows him to be. The Lord, the God he knows personally and is in covenant with. The Lord who is the rock, the unchanging and dependable God. This is who David is praying to. And he's not doubting whether God will hear him. But he's asking and pleading that the Lord will be to David who he knows the Lord to be. Isn't it true when we're in crisis, we don't go to someone who's undependable or weak. No, we turn to someone who's worth turning to. You know, and, and, and here what we see is that the Lord is worth turning to. The Lord, our rock. So pray to the Lord. Hear me and help me. But what is the substance of David's prayer? What is it that he's really praying? Well, he lays it out in verses three to five. And so let's look at it together. Firstly, we're to pray to the Lord. And secondly, I think with another slide, um, plead for justice. Remember that the heart of David's anguish is his concern for justice. And isn't it true? We, We share this concern for justice. But Psalm 28 teaches us to direct our cries for justice to the Lord. Here David's concern is that there'll be a miscarriage of justice. In particular, he says, don't punish me 
Uh, verse 3, do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. David's big concern is that he'll be swept away with the wicked. And who are the wicked? Well, notice in verses 3, 3 to 5, there's a contrast here between what the wicked do and what God does. Do you see how the wicked, their deeds and their works, verses 3 and 4, are set against, verse 5, the works of the Lord and what his hands have done. So very clearly, there's this contrast between the two. And so very clearly, the wicked are those people that are opposed to God and his works. And David is concerned that he'll be swept away with them. He understood that there's only two ways to relate to God. We, we either love him and know him, or we hate him and oppose him. And David says, Lord, I'm not with them. I'm with you. So please rescue me. Please don't punish me. And then he says, do punish them. Look at verse 4. Repay them for their deeds, for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done. And bring back upon them what they deserve. David pleads for justice. But maybe if you're uh, following along, those David's words, they, they shock us. That David is praying for judgment. And, and how does that square with Jesus' teaching to love our enemies? Well, to be clear, David doesn't pray like this because he delights in seeing other people judged. Moreover, David is not self-righteously saying, I'm, 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 I'm great, but look at those people there. They're much worse than me. Judge them. No, David knows that he's a man in need of mercy. And David is not motivated by personal revenge. Presumably, these people are his enemies, but that's not what motivates David to pray. No, what motivates David to pray is, look at verse 5. David says, Since they show no regard for the works of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. So clearly David's concern is the Lord's glory. David is praying, don't punish me, but punish them because they have opposed you. But still, is, is it okay for us to pray like this? Uh, there's a story about a, a dad and, and his son and, and they're reading through the Psalms and, and family worship and, and, and the little boy asks his dad, Dad, do you think it's right to pray for destruction? And this is what his dad replied. He said, my son, if an assassin should enter the house and, and murder your mom and then escape and, and the police were out in pursuit trying to catch him, would you not pray that the police might succeed and arrest him and that he might be brought to justice. And the little boy said, of course, yes. And then the dad said this, my son, the men David prays against were men of falsehoods and crime, enemies to the peace of society, seeking David's own life. And unless they were arrested and their wickedness defeated, many innocent people would suffer. And at this, the the son was satisfied with his dad's answer. And the son discovered that while God's judgment is a terrible thing, it's worse for evil to go unpunished. And therefore, it's right to plead for justice. Now, that doesn't mean that we're judge, jury, and executioner, so we decide who deserves what. But we should call evil what it is 
and ask the Lord to bring justice. We're not to curse our individual enemies, for if we condemn people on our own terms, we make ourselves out to be gods, but we should plead for justice. On the one hand, we should pray, Father, save the lost, but on the other hand, we we should say, Father, judge evil. And this way, we hold together the idea of God's justice and his mercy. And you know, it's only right and natural for us to be deeply grieved and desperate for retribution when the kingdom of God is unjustly attacked. But we're not to harbor those personal feelings of hatred. And yet we are to feel outraged by injustice. And in those moments, what are we to do with that rage? What outrage at injustice? We're to, we're to cry to the Lord. And you know, he will hear our plead for justice. At the end of verse 5, David says, the Lord will tear them down and never build them up again. In other words, the Lord will judge evil and injustice. It's true that God can't stomach wrongdoing and injustice. Instead, the Lord is deeply committed to justice. And therefore, when David cried for justice and, and when we plead for justice, we're asking the Lord who is just to act in accordance with who he is. That's a prayer that he he, he delights in answering, for he is just and will bring justice. And that being so, what should our response be? We thought about how we can firstly pray to the Lord, who is a rock, who is merciful. And secondly, we thought about pleading to, to the Lord for justice and, and this idea that God is just and will respond justly. And so knowing who God is, how should we respond Thirdly, we should praise the Lord. That's the third thing that Sam shows us. In the church I, I grew up in, there was a, a retired missionary called um, Bob McAllister. You, you, some of you might know the name. There were, a number of years ago, there was a BBC documentary about his life. And, um, and as children, I, used to, I remember we as, as kids used to affectionately call him Hallelujah Bob because he would sit down at the back of our church and um, he would often shout out hallelujah. Um, but also if you just chatted to Bob over coffee after church, he had so much praise for his savior. And so as children, we used to affectionately call him hallelujah Bob. Um, Bob grew up in, in Belfast, but he spent many years as a missionary to the Congo. And he eventually retired to Armagh and sadly during the pandemic, he, he died. Um, but back in the summer, there was this memorial service um, for marking Bob's life. And, and it got me reflecting on, on Bob and, and how we used to call him Hallelujah Bob. And this was a man who was in prison for his faith. His best friend was shot dead beside him. And, and he was shot himself. And he only survived because he pretended to be dead. He suffered greatly for Christ and yet Sunday after Sunday, we uh, affectionately, um, I remember calling him Hallelujah Bob. And that's the kind of idea here. So much affliction, so much injustice. And yet somehow the psalm, the psalm takes us on a journey from pleading with God to this moment of praise. David in all of his anguish concludes with passionate praise. He says there's six Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. 
Remember, David feared the, the Lord would no longer care for him and instead treat him as one of the wicked. And deep down, he knew that couldn't be true because he knew the Lord to be the Lord, my rock. But nevertheless, he was anxious. And isn't it true we can somehow sometimes believe one thing to be true about God and um, in our minds, but, but in reality, in our hearts, we're, we're not so sure. Desperation grips us. And then our cry becomes, Lord, be to me who you say you are. But here's the encouragement. David says, praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. We don't know how this answer came, but David knows that, that the Lord has heard his prayer and still cares for him. And the encouraging thing for us is that the Lord continues to hear our cries for mercy. And so wonderfully and strangely, even when life is unjust, we too can praise the Lord. We can praise him by faith. There's seven. David says, my heart trusts in him. David praises the Lord by faith. We're not told that David has been rescued from a situation that he was in. And yet by faith, he knows that the Lord is on his side. And therefore, by faith, he praises the Lord. There's seven. He calls him my strength and my shield. He, he no longer feels threatened to the point of despair. Instead, his heart leaps for joy and he gives thanks to the Lord in song. It seems the Lord has proven himself to be reliable and faithful, strong and protective. And so he praises him. And the Lord is still like this. And therefore, when we pray to the Lord and plead for justice and when desperation grips our heart, eventually we too can sing with David, he has heard me, he has helped me. He is my strength. I can trust him. He will deliver me. And yet part of us maybe still wonders, is that true? Can he hear, will he still hear me? Will he help me? Will he deliver me? Maybe David's a special kind of person. And, and in one sense, he is a special kind of person. He's the Lord's anointed one. He's the Lord's chosen king. And we're not like him. But then again, we still worship the same God. And still the Lord is just and able to save, dependable and always hearing our cry for mercy. And so God will hear me. God will help me and will deliver me. That's what we can say. And look at verse eight. We looked at this with the children. Look at it again. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Again, do you see what David is saying? David is the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's chosen king. And therefore, what happens to the king happens, will happen to God's people. So the idea is this, that since the Lord takes care of David, the Lord will most certainly prove himself to be the strength of his people. To put it differently, the, the Lord grants victory or salvation to his king, and that victory is extended to all people. And therefore, David pleads, verse 9, Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. In other words, just as David has been delivered, then he confidently and expectantly prays for the Lord to deliver his inheritance, his chosen people, his prized possession, his covenant people. And he also calls the Lord to be their shepherd and carry them forever. But don't you see? That what David does for the covenant people then is only a shadow of what Christ does for us today. For us today, we read this psalm. 
with new depth of meaning, we read this psalm knowing that Jesus is the better King David, our anointed king. And just as he was delivered from death and granted victory, his deliverance and victory is extended to all his people. And today, King Jesus pleads for his people, save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. But here's the thing. If we're not his then these words, if we don't trust Jesus, then justice will come and, and we'll be on, on the receiving end. The truth is that we can't rob God of the worship that he is due. We can't shun him and take all the good gifts of, of life in his world without expecting to be judged. If we work for ourselves and build our own little kingdoms, ignoring God, then we will face judgment. In the end, we will get what's deserved, justice. But our only hope is King Jesus. And when King Jesus is, is your king, even when desperation grips your heart, even when you, you, you're, you're, you dismay at, the, at this world, even as you dismay at all the injustice, still we can be confident when King Jesus is our king, that he will save us and bless us and be our shepherd and carry us forever because Jesus is our king. With confidence, we can pray to the Lord, we can plead to him, we can plead for justice and finally, we can praise the Lord for he will hear our cry for mercy and he will deliver us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for King Jesus. We thank you that he lives today, that he came to this earth and lived the life that we could never live, lived that perfect life and humbled himself even to death on a cross in our place, but that he rose again victorious and is seated on high today and pleads for us today, pleads for his people we thank you that he lives interceding for us, pleading on our behalf. And we thank you that in him there is perfect justice. We can cry to you, O oh God. We can cry to you when life is difficult. And we can know that you are a God who will respond justly, a God who is our rock and refuge, always dependable, ever strong and protective. And we thank you that even this morning we have reason to rejoice that we can praise your great and awesome name because you are the God who hears our cries for mercy, the God who rescues your people in and through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.